Layovers, your weekly dose of aviation innovation. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome aboard from the flight deck. This is Paul Pavelevichu. Hello, everybody. This is Alex Hunter. We'll be your pilots for this show about the news, the startups, and the technologies defining the modern air travel experience. Our flight time today, an hour and one minute, and we expect it until my arrival, as usual. I fly and compare the A350 to the 787. Alex adores the food in Alitalia. Dubai International has a drone problem, while Gatwick has a runway hole issue. Tim Clark sees the end of the good old days of commercial aviation. Alaska keeps changing its mind about Virgin America. Horizon has been flying without since for eight years. Austrian offers fixed price upgrades for its European flights. Alex gets a kick out of taking off at the city airport, fellow passengers agree. I fall in love with a business lounge at Hamad International. Singapore gets back into ultra-local game. United introduces a new international business class, finally catching up with the rest of the world. And boy, can't let Airbus win Iran alone. As we reach our cruising altitude, I'm going to turn off the fast seatbelt sign for you. Now, ladies and gentlemen, sit back, relax, and let's turn on those noise-canceling headphones. Flight 42 to Doha, Alex. Hey, Doha. Well, that's exciting. Yeah, I'm, I'm very excited to hear about this because you sent me some very enthusiastic messages when you were there. Yeah, it's a brand new airport. We'll talk about it at the end and also when I talk about my travels. First of all, I didn't know that I was talking every week to a star from Manchester United or something. Yes, right? I, think, uh, <laughs> I think you're talking to Alex Hunter, the most exciting prospect in a generation. <laughs> exactly. What's about that? This is the weirdest thing. Like two or three days ago, Twitter lit up with at replies to me going, can't wait to play you. You're a Man United star. And I was like, what the heck is going on? Well, it turns out that FIFA 17 comes out, the football game comes out in a couple of months, I think. And there's this new story mode where you get to play as like this teenager and you work your way up through a career. And the teenager's name is Alex Hunter. This is epic. It's the weirdest thing that's, I think, ever happened to me because People are messaging me on Facebook, and I don't think they get that it's not a real person, nor am I a teenage footballer. You know? <laughs> but they have like they produced this video with a bunch of famous football pundits in it, and it's like, we've heard so much about this guy, Alex Hunter. It's very strange. <laughs> and you're also becoming a very fast an expert on Sardinia because you went back again. I did. Uh, we'll, we'll talk about that uh, travel a little bit later, but first, since it was, we almost ended the last episode with that. The Sap 2000 to the Island Man with Easter Airways. Tell us about uh, that. You know what? That was fun. I'd never been on a Saab 2000, at least I don't think I had. But it was out of London City, which you guys know is my favorite airport in the world. And I shouldn't say it, but it felt like real flying. Two prop engines and you're you're just tooling around in the, in a very, very short, just like 40 minutes from London to the Isle of Man. And you're never higher than like 23,000 feet. And it just felt like good old-fashioned flying. You felt every turn, you heard every noise. Although I should say, considering I was sitting right next to the engine, it was a very quiet airplane, but just just fun. It reminds you of, of what real flying is like. I mean, you kind of get desensitized when you're in the, a business class suite of a, of a silent A380, 40,000 yeah. feet over over some faceless country. But yeah, that was fun. I need to do more trips like that just to remember what it's all about. 
And how was the Aleman Airport? It will be the third time I've been there. It's a great little airport. Busy, surprisingly busy. There's a lot of regional traffic and some very unusual airplanes as well. How many seats were there in the SAP 2000? Probably 50 at least. Okay, so it's not that yeah, small. Yeah, it's, it's a one-two configuration. Yeah, it was good. We had like full drink service and snacks and it was it was Eastern Airways who are a subsidiary of BA or partner of BA. So it was fully branded BA airplane and uniforms and all of that. Oh, okay. Wow. But yeah, no, I was just so impressed with the whole experience and that type of flying I think is, is a lot of fun. Yeah, the Isle of Man Airport is great. It's It's small, but busy and there's a lot of private traffic and I think Aer Lingus and Air Stobart and or Stobart Air, BA, Flybe, um, and a few smaller independent cargo and passenger flights out of there as well. And a lot of private planes as well. A lot of private planes because Isle of Man has a aircraft registry. Yeah, and a generous tax system, which is also why some very wealthy people live there. Yeah, you do. You get a lot of <laughs> you do get a lot of pretty interesting people. But there's a um, an airline that operates out of there called Van Air, and they're a virtual airline, meaning that it's just a brand. Oh. They don't actually own any airplanes or anything like that, but they fly the Let L410 turbojet aircraft. You ever heard of that? No. Yeah, neither had I. It's a Czech airplane, and it's like a stubby little high-wing prop turbojet turbo or turboprop it's such a neat little airplane funny looking thing and they fly kind of around the uk wow yeah first time i'd ever seen that airplane before that's a benefit of going to these small airports uh, which i haven't really done i mean i'll come to some stories uh, later the, the, the big of course the big thing that happens in europe is the euro football as we call it soccer you guys in the u.s call it basically for the entire month of june the entire europe stops nobody works anymore uh, especially today we're recording on uh, june 16th and there is a whales playing england so where we live is going to basically stop from 2 p.m to 4 p.m yeah, the whole country is to shut down. <laughs> but the other thing that shut down is, sadly, for the image of France, as soon as the Euro started, there was a strike of the Air France pilot, there was a strike of the French ATC, there's also been a calls from Ryanair, EasyJet, and others to say, it's so bad that German and other airspace should monitor French airspace instead of the French, because it's really too bad. At the same time, SAS had a pilot strike, I think it was on Saturday, a friend of mine had to uh, basically do like multiple layovers to come back, Bindi Carrier, she works in the tech industry here in London. There's been uh, EasyJet, the Dutch pilots are going on strike as well. Uh, I mean, honestly, <laughs> you see it's more than France, it's the Euro of strikes, it seems for some reason, and I don't know if it's a season, of course, uh, so it's not very fun. I hope you guys didn't get stranded, I hope for the French image, these kind of things get sorted out very quickly. I'll put the link in the show notes Again, we mentioned that, like, I think 12 episodes ago about what happens. You get it stranded in Europe. You can't get compensation, even if it's a strike. You actually uh, can get rebooked and can get even compensation. I'll put an article that tells you how to do that. If you want to avoid this, there's a few ways. The first was a funny article in the mirror. You can fly private. Uh, do you have 25K to spare, Alex? Um, let me just check now. <laughs> But actually, this is quite an interesting article because it's it breaks it down by person. When you look at that, actually, it's pretty affordable. They were looking at if you could lease a Embraer 145, 
which has 50 seats in it, and that's around 18 to 20,000 pounds. But that's only like 400 quid a person. Yeah. Which, you know, why not? It's, yeah, why not? The other way we could do that is, uh, and you've spotted that, we could bid, what, $300,000 to own an ex-Virgin Atlantic 747-400. Did you bid? Is it is it weird that for longer than a fraction of a second, I thought... You know what? I need to find a way to make this happen. Because not only is it very, very cool, but I have flown on that exact airplane so many times to and from San Francisco. It's Lady Penelope, which is one of the older, obviously older 747s. But yeah, it was on eBay for 300,000 US dollars and it didn't have any engines. They always take the engines off, but it's still painted. It still has the interiors. So the, the fully upper, you know, upper class stuff, a lot of the instruments have been removed from the flight deck. The auction itself has been taken down and relisted, but, so I don't know what the status is, but I told Paul that we should just start a Kickstarter campaign and just, <laughs> just get it and do something with it. Put it in a museum or just... In your garden. Yeah, in your garden. I'm sure my neighbors wouldn't mind. <laughs> of course not, especially with the wings like blocking their views. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, so it's not only in Europe that the state of travel uh, is being disturbed. I, I read that story. I've never flown Horizon, which is, I think, a sub-brand or a partner of Alaska. Uh, there was this article on boardingarea.com where somebody said that Horizon has been or will be fined because they do not provide sinks in their bathrooms. Yeah. What the hell? That's just disgusting. They have 52 of the Q400s that I know you're a big fan of. The quiet. The, <laughs> yeah. And they have bathrooms, but they have no sinks. And so the FAA has said they will find them unless they add sinks or stop letting the employees handle food items. Yeah, which is just disgusting. But here's the worst part. This has been going on for eight Eight years. years. (laughs) Oh, my God. I honestly don't understand that. Have you ever flown them? You know what? I don't think I have. Uh, So Horizon is a part of the of Alaska. Virgin got bought by Alaska. And... We still don't know what the heck is going on. One day, Alaska says they will drop the name and everything. The next day, they say, no, we're not going to drop the name. What is going on, Alice? Can you update us? Can you tell us what you think is happening there? Yeah, I can only tell you what I think and what's been reported because I really don't know. It's I think they're really struggling with this decision. There was an article in the Juno Empire. Juno, Juno is a city in Alaska that suggested that the Virgin brand was going away completely. They've since retracted that statement and said that it was an error for them to suggest that the Virgin livery would go away or they were dropping the Virgin name and no decision has been made. And that has been furthered by an article that came out yesterday, an interview with the Alaska Airlines CEO, Brad Tilden. He said in a speech that they might keep the Virgin America name running indefinitely and have it as two separate airlines in the same airline group or two separate products in the same airline group. And pointed to Europe as uh, as examples of how this happened, and Asia with Cathay and Dragonair, things like that. Although we've seen Cathay bringing Dragonair closer to the brand. He has even said, and I quote, it is the thing I'm losing the most sleep over with our merger. That's what Brad Tilden said. So it's clear they are really struggling with this decision. And that's good. They're not just making, you know, off-the-cuff decisions that they're going to regret in the future. But I think they've hugely underestimated this situation. What do you think will end up happening? Will they keep that brand from for maybe like an upscale product within their fleet? Or it's really hard yeah. to, to understand, honestly. I, I think they will. I think for the time being, they'll run it as a 
separate product with a focus on the East Coast where Alaska has very, very little presence while they figure out what the long-term structure is. They want to benefit from the cost saving of having one operator certificate, whether they can do that and keep the two brands or products going. I, I don't know. I don't know how it works. And also, they'll have to renegotiate the brand license from Virgin because it is expensive. No one can argue that. So what they'll do with it remains to be seen in the long term. But I think in the short term, one to two years, they will operate as separate products, which is great. Yeah. There was a nice article, if you're interested in that kind of things, guys. Uh, what we lose when we lose Virgin America. It was on runwaygirlnetwork.com. It's always a very good source for airline news. Uh, you should read that. It really tells you how uh, Virgin America was different and what it offered in terms of competition. And it's really so sad to see it going. United, they finally unveiled a new business class. So the international business class they had was probably the worst thing that ever happened to business class. I know, again, it's a first world problem. Not everybody flies in the front of the cabin. Whilst everybody else was doing life light seats and kind of to find, you know, ways for you to have more privacy, they just stuck as many seats as possible. You were even like looking back and there was like a section in the middle where there were four people next to each other. So there was no ale access. You could have two middle seats in the middle of the plane. It was really horrible. Uh, they've unveiled a new product called Polaris. It looks pretty good, actually. Yeah, they've kind of caught up with the rest of the world. It's nothing spectacular other than... No, it's not. But, you know, like you said, they caught up. I mean, of course, the rollout is set to be extremely slow. Yeah. Uh, we don't know how long that will take. Some people say uh, three to five years. So it's, it's not like as if by next year you'll have all new airplanes. It's the reason uh, I'm going to say it. I mean, I don't have a hate towards United, but it's the reason I don't fly them. And again, I'm a status holder with the Star Alliance. They will partner with Saks for the amenities. So they're really trying to do something much better. I also heard that apparently a lot of people in the U.S. are complaining. If you are already a status holder in the U.S., you have, you know, special lounges. They will rebrand some of the lounges as Polaris, the same name, which, by the way, is a very strange name. But why not? It's a strange name, isn't it? They will rebrand those lounges, which will basically mean that some of the lounges that were more exclusive would become less exclusive. You'd better basically check on the United websites and all the forums where actually these flights will happen and where these lounge will be done because it's a bit unknown for the moment. I will say, though, that having been a few times in the lounge at Ethro, the United lounge at Ethro, it's fantastic. So not everything is bad, and I hope they're going the right direction. Talking about United, United had announced a flight from San Francisco, their stronghold, to Singapore. Not even four months after this announcement, Singapore Airlines said, hey, you, know, you know what, we're going to compete with you on that one. I don't know if you've seen that news. I did. My memory might be fuzzy, but I thought a long time ago they did it. Yeah, they had that. They're restarting it. And they were saying... You know, it's like the route to New York. Singapore's stance was, we're going to wait for the A350-900 ultra-long haul aircraft to restart this route to San Francisco and the route to Newark. Apparently, because United is doing that route, they will start by October, and they will only use a, a regular 350. Might mean that they will not fly with the full load of passenger. Ah. Interesting, right? That is interesting, and I think there's a lot of instances where that happens anyway, especially out of places like Denver and Johannesburg in the summer where they're, yeah, yeah, they're yeah. high already, and you know, with the temperature reduces the capacity of the airplane to lift. But that's it's an exciting development, and I think it really is showcasing how extraordinary the A350-900 is and the A350 platform in general. Yeah. And 
You've been on it, and I hate yeah, you. Yeah, well, <laughs> I'll talk about that in a minute. Yeah, first, probably the person I respect and we respect the most in the industry, Sir Term Clark. Yeah, was interviewed by the FT, uh, by Financial Times. For those who don't know him, he's the chairman CEO of Emirates Airlines. And that's a very interesting, it's a small article. I really encourage you to read it because you can see that, you know, Emirates, along with the other Middle Eastern airlines, are often accused of going very plush with, you know, these products nobody can afford. And that article is very realistic in a way. It says, you know what, it's the end of the good old days. Basically, uh, Emirates is now thinking about introducing a premium economy product. They're thinking about maybe reducing the number of first class, even like removing it, like as they've done in the recent 380s. Because they're seeing that corporates are not paying always for the premium cabins, that the segment of people that are ready to pay for that is also probably reducing, that it's just to have to go along with the time. So that's actually a reality check. Yeah, it is. It's kind of a shame. I like the way he puts it, that it's the end of the good old days. And it's true. I think the business class product, I think they found the sweet spot of cost and luxury. But the, I do agree. It's really, and that that's not exclusive to Emirates either. I think a lot of, not just the Middle Eastern airlines, but Asian, some European airlines have figured that out. But yeah, these crazy first class products that are sort of first class plus, where's the market? I mean, like you said, oh, the yeah. corporates aren't going to pay for that. And then you're starting to move into private jet territory, as we've just discovered. Those costs are coming down. So he's a smart guy. He's looking at this strategically and for the long term and not just into some regional pissing contest for product. And probably if you look at other airlines, you know, NA, JAL in in Japan or even BA or Lufthansa, they have first class, but a very few selected routes, the very high yield routes that they know people will pay for that. It's true that Emirates had this feeling that you had first class everywhere, basically. I mean, not everywhere. You've experienced that yourself. You've seen some uh, of the 777s that don't have first class, but it looked as if they had a 380 and often enough, a 777 with first class. And I think what will happen is we'll see, like other airlines, they will reduce these first class to only the routes where they actually really make sense. And they will introduce, which is a great news. If they really introduce premium economy, I think it's great news because I think this is a very good product for people that want a little bit of extra comfort while not having to pay like, you know, $5,000 to get a seat. So yeah, exactly. It's nice to hear that from someone as respected. And it's not because he's down or whatever. It's, it's a reality. The forecast is passenger volumes will continue to grow despite a weak global economy, but airfare is expected to fall 7% this year wow. when we remain depressed. It's just a reality, you know, so they adapt to realities, which is another nail in the coffin of some people who say, oh, these guys are just subsidized and that's it. They are actually a real airline. Since they are the biggest buyers of A380s, uh, two small news about the A380. There was the Innovation Days of Airbus. It's a event they do. We weren't there. Basically, more and more airlines, the ones that are looking into the A380, are asking for 550 or even 600 seats versus what uh, Airbus thought at the beginning would be a 400 to 500 seats. We always thought as an industry that that's how this was going to go, that there were going to be a handful of carriers that were going to max out the capacity for these things. And it never really materialized, did it? No, nobody actually did a full economy A380 yet. No. It might happen. Wow. It might happen, right? Yeah, but sure uh, who knows? I don't think Emirates will do it. Uh, the other thing that is interesting, although you know the economics of the 380 has always been very blurry, Airbus said that they broke even last year, but you know how accounting can go. You can make it look like it broke even. Nobody is buying 380s, but Emirates and even Emirates is looking at other products. They're looking at a 787. They're looking at a 350. So it's not as if they're only looking at these two, uh, 777 and 380. 
And apparently Airbus is cutting some A380 costs by shifting the overheads to the 320 program. So basically they are, that's almost an admission that a 380 is not working, right? Yeah. It's also, I think, the success or the continued success of the 320 has caught them by oh, yeah. surprise as well, which is great. I'm a big fan of the A320, but it's really just skyrocketed in popularity recently. They're going to deliver 650 of them. Well, I should say 650 A320 Neos and A350s in this year alone, which is mm-hmm. staggering. And they're producing and- 60 a month in a couple of years. That's crazy. And I think that really caught them off guard. So I think if they can do this right and shift the waning demand for the A380 over to those two newer lines, then they may get away with it. But uh, yeah, you're right. It does reflect a continued lack of interest in the A380. I don't think I've flown the 320 Neo. I think Lufthansa was the first customer. I don't think I've flown it, but maybe I have and I just didn't realize I have because it's not that different from the inside, right? Yeah, so, I don't think there's too many in the skies just yet. No, no. So my travels, uh, they're doing a lot yeah, again. Um, crazy. <laughs> I'm going to mention a few of them. I flew to Podgorica, which is the capital of Montenegro via Vienna. I had done that last year already. With Austrian, Austrian is always a nice product. I actually like Vienna Airport because it's a very fast airport to transfer in. I mean, from deplaning to getting to the other gate took me six minutes, which is really, really fast. And, you know, coming from non-Schengen country, etc., there was no security. It's actually well thought out. Max Gervitz, our friend, hates that airport. He says that the design is cold, that stone is true, that it's not maybe the most warm airport, but I think it's actually pretty efficient. And they have Wi-Fi 100 Mbps down, 100 Mbps up for free without login. Come on. I mean, it's all over the airport. That's pretty cool. A lot of airports could learn from that. So I was then supposed to fly back from Podgorica, so TGD is the airport code. I needed to fly to Dubai. It was on a Sunday, and the only flight that I really wanted to take was, again, Austrian, and they canceled that flight. And I learned why. Apparently, Austrian has a lot of pilot shortages that forces them to cancel flights. There was more than 150 flights canceled just because they don't have enough pilots, no which way. is yeah, it's pretty staggering when you think about it. The other interesting thing that they've just announced, we talked about it yesterday, you and me, Alex, on Messenger, is that Austrian is launching now uh, directly on their app. You can upgrade 48 hours before a check-in. You have the option to upgrade yourself. I mean, we've seen that in other airlines, but this is for fixed price. So you know exactly you can pay 50, 100 euros. uh, That's within Europe, and you can get an upgrade for a fixed price. No bidding, no whatever. I think it's pretty cool to being able to do that from the app. I love that. It's just so much easier than having to faff around on the website or Or even calling them. them. Yeah, exactly. Because you immediately know. You're like, oh, there's a free seat. I take it or not. And it's a very easy and transparent value prop. And I think that's actually pretty uh, interesting. Then, because that Austrian flight was cancelled, I had to find a way to go to Dubai on a Sunday. So I found a very strange route. I started flying with Montenegro Airlines. YM is the airline code. With a fucker 100. Have you no, flown that? I, I, I missed this part of the story. Yeah, Did they have to figure this out for you because they cancelled the flight? By the time I wanted to book... I couldn't uh, simply book it. I could see it on their booking system, but every time I tried, it said error. And I ended up calling Austrian. They told me, oh, we're not flying that day. I'm like, oh, so now what? So separately, I found my route and I was with Montenegro Airlines. It's a very nice airline, but a Fokker 100, I think the company disappeared. They don't make planes anymore. So it was a pretty cool thing to fly. It looks like 
you know, an old Embraer, if you want, right? It's a mix between Embraer and a 320. It's smaller. It's a nice aircraft. It's not that noisy. I really had like a kick flying in something different for once again, because in Europe, we tend to fly 320s all the time. It's a rear engine airplane, isn't it? Yes, absolutely. I have some pictures. I'll put them on the show notes, maybe. Uh, it's a nifty, nifty aircraft and very nice stuff. And so I was very happy to fly that. I was, to be frankly, very honest, when I fly these airlines that I've never heard of, and especially because it was my only option to get to Dubai, I was like, please, God, don't tell me you have two hours of delays or you you cancel your flights, you know, like Turkish does sometimes. They're yeah. probably not. They're a very reliable airline. So I'm very happy to have flown them. So I arrive at Zurich Airport, which is probably my favorite airport in Europe or maybe in the world for me because it's so easy and, and so well thought out. But I realized that actually landing in Zurich on a Sunday when there's no much traffic from a very far away pier, it's actually a nightmare. I was connecting to a Qatar Airways flight. I didn't have a boarding pass and I'm landing in Zurich and I'm like, okay, now what? And it was five hours before my flight. So the flight I was supposed to fly was not on the screens yet. And then you realize that these are the little, okay, it's an outlier case, but there's no way to know which gates the plane will fly from. I was looking at all the screens, everything <laughs> I didn't know. So I didn't even you know, you know even which terminal. There's like A, B, C, D, Z, E, I think, or whatever. Uh, so I was like on my phone trying to understand what are the usual gates Qatar flies from. And it tells me, I think it was D and E. And I'm like, yeah, but D and E is not the same terminal at all. How will I find <laughs> And it was, it was not staffed, et cetera. So it was, it, it, this is a UX problem. I mean, it's not a big one. I'm not complaining. I'm saying that sometimes you end up in these situations. I end up finding, uh, you know, these um, information desks where you can usually print a boarding pass. And obviously they tell me, oh, but we cannot do Qatar. I'm like, oh, God damn it. So basically I had to beg my way into the lounge because I didn't have a boarding pass. The funny thing is that whilst I was in Zurich, I missed something completely uh, stupidly because even though I kept watching planes outside from the window, I found this great lounge. I put the link in the show notes. We have a full view of the two runways and you see planes landing and departing. There were apparently the plane from Merkel, so the Chancellor of Germany, Hollande, the President of France, and Iron Maiden, the 747 from Iron Maiden, parked next to each other. It's such a classic picture. That's... And I didn't see that. I was there for five hours and I didn't see that. I'm so gutted. Oh, wait, you were there at the same time? I was there at the same time. Because that I'm not picture kidding. spread across the internet like wild. Yeah, I uh, yeah, I probably didn't look in the right, or maybe simply my lounge was not facing the right direction. You know, it's like a few days later, I'm looking at this. I'm like, God damn it, I was there. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, and then, I know, I'm going to make you jealous. I flew the uh, 787 again <sighs> from Qatar Airways from uh, Zurich to Doha. That was pretty cool. Honestly, it's really a nice aircraft. Man, I mean, I know you're going to fly it soon. It's really, it's my first time with Qatar Airways as well. I was flying in uh, business class. There's no first class since we mentioned that earlier. Not that I wanted to, but it's interesting. It's really a nice product, but it's not Emirates. Oh, uh, that's interesting. Yeah, it's a great product. The staff is fantastic. I'm very pleased with the staff. They're very willing. They're not probably as well trained as Emirates, but they're very willing. So it was really nice and felt very valued as a customer. I'm tall. I'm 6'5". It's just not perfect. It's uh, There's not as much privacy. Everything is open. But you know what? The 787. It's just a fantastic, fantastic, fantastic plane. 
I fly to Doha. I had to rush. I had literally 20 minutes to make a connection because my flight was delayed. And I made it, which tells you a lot about Doha, which is why I chose the airport today. I was able to make it to my connection to Dubai. Stayed in Dubai for 13 hours, back to the airport at DXB, Terminal 1. My God, you know what? When we covered Dubai Airport, we talked a lot about Terminal 3, which is where Emirates flies from. I'd never flown or landed at Terminal 1, which is the oldest one. Well, you know what? It sucks. Really? It's not. It's compared to Terminal 3, you can feel that it's the first one, that it was built, you know, 30 years ago or something. It's, I know they're refurbishing. I know they're trying to make it better. But honestly, it's cramped. The old layout from checking in to, I didn't have to because I had it with me, but because funnily enough, since I was flying so close to each other, they printed all my boarding pass in Zurich, even my return ones, because I was only staying 12 <laughs> hours in Dubai. You know, everything is cramped. Uh, passport control, the queues, they're like, oh my God. So it's not a great experience. Terminal 1 DXB. So I understand people that were telling us back then, oh, but I didn't like Dubai. Yeah, fly from Terminal 3 and the new Terminal 4, which we haven't seen, but Terminal 1 is not that great. But I flew back Dubai to Doha. That was with a 320. Nothing to run home about, but very nice. And then I had five hours in Doha. So I was able to visit the airport. I'll tell a little bit of the story at the end. Great. But man, the best lounge I've ever seen in my life. I mean, the lounge in Hamad International, which is called, if I remember correctly, the Al Murkhan Business Class Lounge at Doha Airport. I've sent you some pictures. It's the most majestic, monumental lounge I've ever seen in my life. Wow. It's probably, I understand, some people will say it's a bit in your face, but it's it's... The design of that airport, but the design of that lounge is just staggering. The ceilings are at least 21 meters high and some even higher at some point. There are, there's a sandwich bar, there's two restaurants, there are many areas. Each seat has its own tablet. You have quiet area, family area, game area with playstations and foosball. I mean, they thought about everything. It's, uh, Alex... Just for that, fly Qatar Airways wow. and a DLA over there. This lounge, I like design, I like modern architecture, so probably that's also why I was you know, impressed more than maybe other people. But this is something that I've never seen. Of course, they have, again, and some people will tell me that, yeah, they have a lot of money, and it shows. Yes, indeed, they do, and it shows. But man, this lounge, wow. Honestly, wow, 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 wow. I've really seen something like that. So just for that, guys, if you have the chance, get an Alex, do a layover in that lounge. I will. And, and I've seen quite a few Qatar Airways business class fares on sale recently. So. Yeah, they always have very good sales. Uh, actually, my ticket was a sale one. I was able, which is why I chose Qatar Airways, because I don't have status in One World, uh, which, you know, American Airlines and BA. But I flew them because they were a very good price. People know, listening to us, that I usually fly Emirates. So, yeah, and I wanted to try, and that's my next step. That's the jealousy of you. I wanted to try the 350, the Airbus 350, and I did. On the way back, Doha to Munich. See, I was supposed to fly to London, but I flew to Munich on purpose because they had the 350. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. Yeah, it's a great aircraft. You, You know, Alex, the 787 and the 350, when you step into these planes and when you fly them, You understand they are like two generations ahead. They are the newest aircraft. You can feel it from a lot of the, you know, the humidity levels. We talked about that in the episode with Mark, the quality of the sleep, et cetera. There's something to it that makes you, yeah, these are really fantastic aircrafts. Now, 
The good thing is I was able to compare exactly the same product, Qatar, both ways. So it's not two different airlines. So it's really the same product. In terms of the seats, I didn't see any glaring differences. So it's really the same product. It's an unfair comparison because the 350, as you know, is bigger than the 787. The one I flew, I think, was the 787-8. If you talk about a 787,000, then it would be almost comparable to the 350. So these are two not exactly the same size of aircrafts, right? The 350 is a bit bigger. It's larger, so you feel have more room inside. The, right. the, the battles are very well done. The lightning is extremely well done. All they, they talked about, the Airbus is actually real. Still, you know what? I'm going to say something, and I'm sorry for my friends at Airbus. Uh, the 350 is like a Mercedes, you know? Everything is perfect. It's really the car that on every review is 10 out of 10. And I probably the 350 is a 10 out of 10. Everything is well thought out. I've heard many people telling me that the economy, because I was not flying the economy, there's more room than a 787, so it's much more comfortable. So the 350 will be the contender that everybody will want to fly. But for some strange reasons, and that's why I do the thing with a car, you know, like American cars are, you know, they're not as well polished and sometimes they break down and sometimes they're, but you want that poster on your wall still, right? You want a Corvette on your wall and you don't want a Mercedes, right? This is exactly how the 787 feels like. It's not perfect. You know, the, the vents, for instance, are plasticky, whereas the ones on the 350 are perfect. The windows, you know, the shading on the 787 that you can do electronically doesn't work perfectly. It's almost like sometimes frustrating, whereas on the 350, you have the normal shade that you do manually. But you know what? For some reason, the 787, a je ne sais quoi, that is, you know, good. the Corvette versus a fantastic Mercedes, yeah. fantastic BMW. I don't know how to, why, and I'm sorry for my friends at Airbus. Everybody will hate me there, but the 787 <laughs> has... It's the car you want, although everything inside you tells you that the other one is better. I, I also heard, and I think I've seen some pictures to quantify this, that the tail camera, or well, the outside cameras that you get are better on the 350. They are. It's amazing. The angle probably is bigger than I've seen on the 380, which is the other aircraft that has the tail camera. You can see the entire aircraft, probably because the 380 is so big that you feel that you don't see the entire aircraft. But... It's now it's a fantastic aircraft. I will fly it. I mean, only Finnair and Qatar Airways basically fight for the moment. But there's something about a 787. So it's they're uncomparable. They're comparable at the same time. It's unfair. But man, there's something about a 787 that I didn't feel in the 350. So please, Airbus, prove me wrong and fly me again <laughs> in the 350. <laughs> Uh, very quickly, the safety video of Qatar Airways is really funny. It's done with uh, Barcelona, the football team, since we're in the Euro. It's really well done. I put the link in the show notes. I think it's one of the most clever I've seen. I really had a kick out of that. Interestingly, since we're talking about Qatar, let's take two stories. Have you seen that story with Delta and Qatar Airways? Oh, God. It's just. Tell, 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 what is that? Tell us it's about the it. It's the most childish high school thing I've ever heard in my life. So, <laughs> back at the beginning of this month, Qatar Airways launched their new service to Atlanta, which obviously is Delta's home base. And Delta have been very vocal in their hatred of Qatar Airways. They've done these thinly veiled billboard advertising campaigns. They've just been really childish about it. And when their 380, the Qatar Airways, landed after a 14-hour flight, there was conveniently not a gate available for them. <laughs> and this airport
airport handles 100 million people a year, but there's only one gate that's capable of handling the A380. And that just happened to be occupied by a Delta airplane. And they were a little busy. There's something they could do about it. So they had to tow it to a remote parking area and put all of these VIPs onto buses. (laughs) It's so petty and small-minded, but so typical of Delta and their nonsense. It's just infuriating. Just to balance, because I don't know the whole story, we had a few discussions on our Twitter channel, layovers, lay underscore overs. Marissa told us that it's actually Qatar's fault. And our friend at Aviation Extended says that Qatar Airways knew that there would not be a door available before actually taking off and they still did it. I don't know whether it's true or not, but I mean, the image overall, like you said, for me, it's petty on both. You know, it's just, it's stupid. Exactly. It's so childish and so typical. Even if they knew, it's like, come on, this is bad. It makes Atlanta look bad and not just Delta. The other story about Qatar is that, you know, that Qatar is at One World. I just mentioned that. You have status on One World. And since Aer Lingus was bought by BA, they also are on One World now. And, and Aer Lingus actually is looking at cooperating more with Qatar Airways to expand their network. So that's an opportunity for you, Alex. That's great. Yeah, Qatar are going to launch services to Dublin and, and Vegas as well. But the Dublin one is great for Aer Lingus, obviously, because it then connects to their regional network. Since Aer Lingus have joined IAG and as a result, One World, it's really opened up a lot of doors for them. So I'm excited for the future of Aer Lingus, who are an airline I have a great deal of fondness for. I like them a lot. I was very frustrated because... Erlinger still has its lounge in Terminal 2 in London Heathrow, Terminal 2 being the Star Alliance terminal. And, you know, since I always want to switch lounges to see something else because I don't want to go always to the Lufthansa one, I didn't think twice. And I just enter there and say, hi, can I? And they looks at me and says, no, we're not with Star Alliance. And I'm like, are you kidding me? Oh, yeah, you were bought by IAG. <laughs> <laughs> so I would never be able to try that lounge. Apparently, it's a very nice one if you guys ever try it. By the way, if you want to know where the 787, the 350, even the 380, all these aircraft fly to and from, there's routesonline.com has a very nifty list. This is how I was able to find, you know, I wanted to fly the 350. I knew it was flying from Munich. Actually, the Qatar Airways website is well done because it provides you with that information. But if you really are into flying a specific aircraft, it's being updated every time there's a new route coming up. So it's it's nice. You should try that, Alex. Uh, by the way, a shout out to our friends at Airliners because you showed me yesterday, they launched a new website. Yeah, I was going to bring that up. Uh, it's obviously typical of any website we launch. People are up in arms about it, but it's good. It's really good. It's made it a lot better. You can actually use the thing on a phone now. That's what I was about to say. So then when I arrived from Doha to Munich, I arrived for the first time as well in Terminal 1, which is a non-Lufthansa terminal, and I had to transfer to Terminal 2, which is the Lufthansa terminal, because then I was flying to uh, London, obviously. Oh my God, we said you and me that it's a great airport to connect. Well, when you do that, it's not that great. There's one bus that does the actual connection between the two. And supposedly it's every 15 minutes, but it's not. There's a security. Imagine you have a lot of people from my flight were going to that bus and there were one single person at security. They didn't even have the right material to swipe you. So every time they wanted to swipe you, they had to call someone. I mean... Munich has work to do on that. You can see that they're putting a lot of good stuff on Lufthansa, but Terminal 1 might not be as well. So you see, um, I criticize my own thoughts because I was always saying Munich is so great. There are still some stuff to do. 
Anton, our friend, uh, tells us that since we talked about last episode that Singapore Airlines and Air France were thinking about doing some type of alliance, he's almost pissed off at saying, you know, does it really matter? We try to get all these miles with a specific alliance if those guys start to do like the thing on their own. And are we doing all that for nothing? So are we doing all that for nothing, Alex? <laughs> <laughs> doesn't feel like that. He also says that his best experience ever, since we mentioned Anthony Bourdain the last show, was actually with Lufthansa. I think it was a kosher meal, he said, uh, from uh, Munich to Boston. And so he, he has discovered the trick, yes. which is don't order off the menu. <laughs> exactly. If you order a, a kosher menu or halal or vegetarian mm -hmm. or anything like that, it's usually made at a much smaller scale, sometimes even one-off, and it is invariably better than the stuff you'll get otherwise. By the way, Qatar Airways food, very good. You'll actually enjoy that, Alex. Yeah. So then another trip, I flew Swiss again, London, Zurich, Athens, nothing to write home about. I really love Swiss, 320 is all the way. But the interesting bit is the way back, I did uh, this time Athens, Munich, again, Munich. See, now I told you last episode that Munich will overtake Frankfurt as my hub in Germany. It has now officially. There was something that was very interesting in the Athens to Munich leg. I enter in the plane, and I see a little new sign that I'd never seen in any, it was an A321. I'd never seen in any Lufthansa plane, which was a little triangle and says entertainment. And I'm like, okay, maybe there is actually in-flight entertainment in, in that, you know, or something. I don't know. It was the first aircraft I did with them where they were streaming entertainment to your tablet or phone. Wow. Was that Wi-Fi then? Yes. You log on to uh, a specific Wi-Fi in the plane and you get entertainment. So the sad thing is we were taxiing. They tell us if you want to enjoy the full capabilities of the entertainment, you have to download the app. And I'm like, oh God, I don't have time to download the app on my phone or iPad. So I was not able to test the movie selections and everything because you have to have the app. So which now, by the way, guys, when you book Lufthansa, check if that little sign is there because that means you need to download the app, which is very interesting because then on a flight, which is not even two hours from Athens to Munich, you could have a full IFE. But I did still try whatever content I could have without the app. And that was two things. It were all the newspapers, very nice. But the second oh, thing, cool. you would love it, the live map on my iPad. Nice. My God, it's fantastic. The, the map is almost better than the random app you get on every flight, which is just displayed on the screen. It's really, really nice. And it's really ultra precise as well. You can zoom in, you can know what's under you, etc. Really but, cool. But you don't have internet. On that flight, I didn't. The Wi-Fi network created within the plane was only for these entertainment purposes. But that's the future, isn't it? That's that. This is what everybody's going to do. Now I get it. And I didn't even try the whole movie, whatever. But now I get it. It's the first flight I ever tried that had this and really I loved it. The other thing about Lufthansa that was amazing, you use that as well, Alex, on your iPhone. You use uh, probably, you know, the wallet boarding passes, yes. right? Lufthansa is the first ever airline that I've seen that now has live ones. They keep updating themselves. Nice. If there, it the seems gate like such an opportunity. If the gate changes, your boarding pass changes, which seems so natural and logic, but no. Yeah, so kudos to Lufthansa for having done that. I also mentioned, I think a few episodes ago, that when I was in New York, I was able to try the VR app Lufthansa at an event. You can download it on the App Store on iOS if you are interested. So if you have like this cardboard, uh, you know, VR thing you want to create with your phone, you could actually be in a Lufthansa flight for free. Now, since we're talking about Wi-Fi, usually it's really slow, right? 
Yeah, on planes, it's excruciating. And apparently now Netflix might become a possibility. Yeah, this is interesting. It's GoGo, who have had a rough couple of years, but they seem to come out on the other side in very good shape. And they've launched this 2KU satellite-based service and they claim it's eight times faster than the older air-to-ground services that they've used for a lot of the American systems. But Aeromexico customers, exclusive to Aeromexico right now, can stream Netflix with no problems, which is pretty wow. amazing. One of the reasons I don't have Netflix is because, you know, I'd rather have systems where I can download something. Whereas Netflix, you have to have a constant. So for me, it's useless in a plane. You think that like 200 passengers can watch Netflix at the same time? Really? <laughs> uh, they seem confident. I mean, I think that they realize that that's not going to happen. But the quality of the streaming seems to be very, very good. And it means that American and Delta, who are already existing GoGo customers, will be adding the 2KU service to the vast majority of their domestic services, domestic fleets, which is which is great. Do you have often Wi-Fi in a plane in Europe, though? No. Only traveling internationally have I had it. So JAL, Emirates have offered it. No one else. No, no, certainly no one regionally. Yeah, that's strange, right? I mean, it's strange. I, some routes in Europe already like three, four hours. So you see me yeah, absolutely. Actual- no, I... Let us know if you guys have ever been on a European flight that's had Wi-Fi and and who it was, because I'll immediately start flying them. Apparently, uh, that same Google 2KU uh, Wi-Fi service will be offered on British Airways flights soon as well. Long haul flights only, uh, 70 Mbps broadband, which is not too bad. That's great. I'll believe it when I see it. Um, (laughs) Yeah, have have often been very slow to adopt these types of technologies, and that's fine. You want to see if it's proven and all of that, but they have a big, diverse fleet. This is going to take a while. Last bit of flying for me, London to Warsaw, back to London. On the flight back, Warsaw to London, there was a few issues. I think you had that too as well. You'll tell us in a minute where I think London air traffic was so bad that we were delayed in Warsaw. But point being, the crew was absolutely fantastic, so kudos to them. And I flew on an Embraer 195. What a nice aircraft. Oh, yeah. Huge. Oh, my God. Oh, yeah. Now I'm becoming much more of a fan. I love these almost squarish windows. You know, yes. they are very peculiar. Uh, you flew that to go to Sardinia? Or no? I did. Yeah, I flew from London City to Milan. Which one in Milan? MXP or Linate? Linate. Oh, I've never been there. Small-er. Yeah, it's a nice little airport. Alitalia City Liner, so one of their subsidiaries, and it was a great service. I was fortunate enough to be in business class. The food was easily the best regional food I've oh, ever wow. had. Oh, wow. The service was a really great, but the best part, and I raved to you about this, was our takeoff <laughs> at London City, which they're always, you know, pretty, pretty sporting. But this one was great. We must have been heavy. I don't know. But we taxied out, sat at the end of the runway, parking brakes on, and full takeoff throttle. The engines were howling. The plane was shaking. And then the the parking brake comes off. The whole plane. Jolt is an understatement. There was a big, big old bang. Things flying around. And we just get thrown back in our seats and just go flying. And maybe 10 seconds after wheels up, the guy behind me, to no one in particular, just said, 
That was badass. <laughs> <laughs> and it was. He was right. Um, uh, yeah, is a great, very little airport, but uh, fine, great food on the ground there. And then we took a domestic Alitalia A320, which was one class, and that was fine too. I should say all four of my legs, Alitalia legs, were delayed. Um, but the crew were all excellent. The service was excellent. The food and drink was excellent. And we were delayed as well because there was huge thunderstorms like you experienced. But it did allow me to take, I think, the best window shot I've ever taken out of the window of an airplane with the sunset coming over the River Thames and the, the whole yeah, city just looked like it was made good. of gold. Yeah, I'll put it in the show notes. It's really fantastic. On the way back from Warsaw to London, because we were flying the same day, <laughs> first of all, we had to kind of, you know, move around different uh, bad weather areas. We were like cruelly avoiding them. And then suddenly that gold luminosity appeared and that's absolutely wonderful. Yeah. That, that's the reason we like window seats. Yeah, oh, absolutely. By, by the way, talking about thunderstorms, I land at Munich. That was on my way back from uh, from Athens. I land in Munich and because it was a thunderstorm, the entire airport was shut down. Oh they my put, God. So basically we, are, we literally land, we go in a parking position and then so the captain goes on the PA and says, well, because of the weather conditions, the staff is not allowed to work probably because, you know, the risk of lightning. Yeah. So, and, and two minutes later, it comes back on PSA. Okay, now right now, don't worry if you have any connecting flights, which I did. The entire airport is shut down. It stayed shut down for almost an hour. So we that's, were in the plane. It was fine. I mean, they gave us water and whatever, but wow. That's crazy. You sent me a picture of the weather satellite imagery and it was huge. pretty intense. Yeah, absolutely. It was huge and red and menacing. People were not angry or whatever because, you know, it's out of, you know, it's act of God or something, right? You cannot control yeah, the weather. Yeah, but it's you can't really, get mad at anybody. Really, really impressive. So Embraer is, I just had the first slice of the E2. Have you seen that one? It looks great. It looks like a little mini Dreamliner, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, you told me that. It's a perfect definition, a mini Dreamliner. I loved it. It's did so you, cool. I can't wait to fly it. They should hire you as a marketing guy. <laughs> the mini Dreamliner is the perfect definition. It's a perfect imagery for that. It's an amazing little aircraft. I don't know where it's going to actually fly. I don't think any European airlines have actually ordered it. No, not yet. It's proven very popular, and a lot of the U.S. regional carriers have ordered it. But you're right. I don't think any European carriers have jumped on it just yet. But it's a matter of time. It's proven so successful in this part of the world, the, the yeah. predecessor anyway. So Alex, you're one of the reasons why uh, Ethro has problems because you keep flying from city um, <laughs> and uh, Ethro has just announced that they have a lower passenger numbers, which is very surprising. It's so even, very even though, weird. What do you think is that? I have is no idea. They were down 1.6% in April and, in, and nearly another percent in May. And this is so unusual because every other month prior was up and up significantly. But a lot of people are suggesting that perhaps the early Easter this year had an effect or something like that, but I, I don't know what's going on. It's very, very strange. If you break down the numbers by region, the Middle East is the region, probably that's Emirates and of course the others, is the region that is seeing the most improvement uh, year on year. Mm. Whereas UK domestic, obviously because London Heathrow is not really a domestic airport, but Europe is very flat, Africa is down, North America is kind of flat, Latin America is also kind of flat. But the Middle East is the one that is booming, right? So yeah. it's, uh, it's interesting. And to put this in context, so Heathrow traffic was down 0.8% in May. Frankfurt traffic was down over 5%. 
Yeah, a lot of people are criticizing Frankfurt. They're saying that Frankfurt has, is actually reaching a problematic cross in the road for them. They have to rethink their strategy. A lot of people are very negative about that airport. I don't know why. I haven't actually looked into it. You're not the first one to say that. But uh, talking about the airport that you fly from a lot, not city, but Gatwick, they had a strange hiccup the other day. They had to close it down as well. Completely bizarre. They had to close it down because there was a bloody great hole in the runway. <laughs> the runway was disintegrating. Gatwick is kind of weird. It's a single runway airport, meaning they can only use one runway at a time. But they actually have two runways. Correct. One is used primarily as a taxiway. So they were able to shift the traffic over to this shorter northern runway. But it did cause some significant delays as a result. And it's the strangest thing. I mean, they've, they've fixed it now. They fixed it a few days ago, but weird. Very How weird, does right? that happen? I don't know. I had a friend who was traveling through Gatwick when this happened, and they, they had to cancel a bunch of flights, and the whole thing just looked like an absolute nightmare inside. And I, I still I still love Gatwick. I don't no, I think, I think like it, honestly. It's just a bit far from me, but I, I, do, I do like it. Uh, another airport that had a little closure, uh, so Munich because of the thunderstorm, Gatwick because of a hole in the runway, it's a DXB, um, Dubai Airport, because of a drone. This is going to keep happening more and more and more. I mean, you look at Flight Radar 24 or PlaneFinder.net and you look at Dubai, that airport is so flippin' busy. That busy. airspace is crazy. And they had to close it for 69 minutes because some jerk-off was using a drone where they shouldn't have been doing. Yeah. 16 flights diverted. I mean, you should be put in jail for that for a couple of days just to just to make sure that you it's never do lesson, it again. Yeah. yeah. It's interesting because since we opened on talking about the Euro, I read the other day that for the first time in a large sports event, they actually are using anti-drone technology. So not only they have cameras around the stadiums to look at where drones could actually arrive to try to, try to prevent them. But they are using, and I haven't looked into it, they are using a technology that is able to down drones without actually shooting them down. I don't think they take control of them or the electronics or they are doing this. Of course, it's uh, probably because, you know, they want to protect the copyrights of the images, but also because it could be an attempt as a terror attack as well, because, you know, one day somebody can put like some bomb on it or whatever. So they are using that technology. And I'm wondering if airports someday will not also invest in a technology that is able to kind of capture or whatever, the drone, and, you know, put it down or something without actually, you know, shooting a missile. There, there was a, um, a video that did the rounds a few weeks ago in Japan where they had a, another drone with a net Oh, that was able to go up and basically snare the rogue drone, if you no will. No way. <laughs> and bring it down intact. And, wow. you know, so you're not like dropping it out of the sky into unsuspecting members of the public below. Wow. Yeah, it was cool. It, it looked like it worked really well. I mean, I get it. Again, we said it repeatedly. I'm sure it's very nice to have very nice imagery of Dubai Airport, London Heathrow, whatever, or GFK. But, you know, you're putting lives at risk when doing that, right? And it's yeah. just, uh, get an authorization. Get an authorization. Get nice images. I've seen some stuff done with the consent of the airport that is really amazing. So since we're in the region just north of Dubai... Iran, we already talked about it a few times, first of all, because it's finally opening up. 
Airbus had done a deal already, like a very big deal. And the question was, will actually Boeing be able to sell any planes? So the New York Times is reporting yesterday, actually, June 15th, that the deal might be happening. I say might because, you know, there's a bit of a question mark on whether people are going too fast in announcing that the deal is made or not. I believe that at the end they will be able yeah, to. Yeah, me but. too. I, I, absolutely. I think this is this deal has happened. I'm very convinced of that. There's been no denial from Boeing, um, even though they've made a comment on it. One of the big hurdles has been that the American financial system and, and some of the vehicles that you use, financial vehicles that you use to purchase airplanes, as we've talked about in previous episodes, are not open to Iran. Yeah. That was a big deal. Recently, there was an article suggesting that they could use an alternative currency like the euro to get around that problem. IATA and Boeing have commented saying, yeah, that's not out of the realms of possibility. So it really looks like this deal is going to happen soon. And let's, let's not forget, you know, they did a big $28 billion deal for 118 aircraft, like you said, with Airbus in January. But there's 80 million people in Iran. Yeah. that are are flying on airplanes that were purchased before the revolution in the late 70s. Oh, so there is a need for a lot of aircraft, 400 in the next few years. So Yeah, I'm, domestic and international. Yeah, yeah, I think this is a big opportunity. I think it's going to happen soon, whether or not American politicians will find it necessary to screw this deal up. They have a penchant for doing that, so I'm sure they will. Yeah, but I mean... They cannot, at the same time, let Airbus get the entire Exactly. Pocket, That's right? the leverage, right? We talked about yeah. this yesterday. Is That will be the leverage. Like, well, we can't just let our competitor, our international competitor, take this entire market. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it, something will be done. There's no way in hell that this deal won't happen. And I understand, to be frankly honest, I understand people that have reservations still about Iran. Fine. But at the same time, you know, when you have Airbus that has sold so many aircraft and probably the Embraers and the Bombardier and all the others are there trying to sell their own aircraft, Boeing cannot be the only one that, that will be left behind. There's no way that's going to happen. I agree. And we'll finish with an article of our friend, uh, Mark, the pilot. Thank you, everyone, for all the great feedback you've given us about that episode, episode 40. Uh, we had a blast recording it with Mark. He wrote a, yet another article, what a gifted writer he is, on Eon.co. I'm just going to quote one sentence. My favorite airplane vocalization is the decide call, which I first heard on that 747 flight from Tokyo to London when I was wide-eyed and wide-eared guest in the cockpit. The decide call comes in a female English-accented voice that we hear as we reach altitude or height at which we must either have sight of the runway environment or break off the approach. And I love that part. Decide the plane implores a decision-making tool that I've occasionally wondered about turning into an app to be deployed in meeting rooms in the corporate world at academia. <laughs> oh, that's such a good idea. <laughs> Make your mind up! And he talks about all these voices that are heard in the cockpit. And I really loved it, right? It's really nice. It's a lovely article. And, and I want to echo Paul's thanks to Mark, of course, but also to all of you for your comments. It's, it's proven to be one of the most popular episodes that we've ever done. So hopefully we'll have Mark again in the future because we really enjoyed our conversation with him. We did. So Hamad International Airport, Doha. So Doha was until not even two years ago, another airport, which was really next door, Doha. Now it's called Hamad International Airport. It was my first time, so I've never flown in the other airport. Have you ever? No, been I've never been to, to Doha. It was formerly known as New Doha International Airport, now the Hamad International Airport. So as I said, 
very impressive piece of architecture. It's really majestic and monumental as an airport. It's not completely finished. It's still being built, but I mean, you don't see it. It's not as if being built in front of your eyes. It's a really, really impressive airport, to be honest with you. And there's a lot of little things that you see that have been thought, you know, I guess that's the good thing when you are when you have the possibility of creating an entirely new airport. You have all this expertise from all around the world, from people like your father, Alex, by the way. They will you know, say, we've seen that this doesn't work in so many airports, you should do it this way. There's a one thing, for instance, very small, but so clever. When you are in the main part of the airport, you know, before you have the gates, A, B, C, etc., Sometimes in some airports, I mean, unless you're very used to, like you and me, where some airports we could even walk there with our eyes closed. Sometimes you're wondering, where should I go? It happened to me in Zurich, as I told earlier. This one has these big, massive signs. They're not even signs. Like the A is not just gate A as a sign somewhere. The A is almost embossed in the architecture to tell you, guys, this is where A is, and this is where B is, and this is where C is. So it makes walking there very natural because... You just look in front, you don't have to look for a sign. Your head registers a big A, and you know that A is over there. I don't know, I don't know if I can that explain that correctly. No, no, absolutely, I get it. These are the little things that, again, probably because it's a new airport, and they've had all these great expertise from international other airports and what they've learned. It makes for a very, quite easy airport to navigate. Of course, it's very impressive. There's this... I don't know, teddy bear in the middle of it, which is very strange. A lot of people, if you just look at Hamad International Airport on Instagram or Flickr or wherever, you'll find that it's a yellow teddy bear that is gigantic that sits in the middle. It's quirky. I kind of like it, actually, because it kind of balances the very majestic, almost too serious tone of the airport with little quirks like that. So it's a very, very nice airport. I mentioned earlier, so I'm not going to repeat that lounge. I hope that some of you will have the chance to go to that lounge. Of course, you have to fly Qatar, and of course, you have to fly a business class, but it's one of the best, again, for me, it's the best lounge I've ever been to. But the entire airport is really well made. You can feel still that it's not finished because I think they have not enough gates yet. We had to wait a little bit for a gate to free up, but it's a fantastic, fantastic airport. If you like architecture like I do, it's worth taking a look. It goes pretty much everywhere, you know, of course, thanks to Qatar Airways, you can go anywhere. Like Alex said earlier, lots of good deals in Qatar. Is it a good airport for layovers? I would say yes. There's a lot of seating as well. You can seat around whatever. The city is literally next door. So if you have a long layover, you might as well go to the city instead of staying to the airport. But it's really made for that. You know, all these airports in the Middle East are made for connecting. You know, you land to Qatar and then you fly somewhere else. So they're really made for you to spend some time to buy stuff. There's a lot of shops. It's a nice airport. So I encourage you to visit it. And I hope, Alex, that you will be going there shortly. I want to go there. And, you know, obviously I spent like four or five episodes humming and hawing about whether or not I was going to fly on Qatar to on my epic Asia trip earlier this year. Obviously I didn't in the end, but I still really want to experience the product, especially because they're a One World member. I think the airport will be able to handle like 100 million passengers a year. So it's really, it really wow. gives you the size. And like you said, if you're a One World member, they have very good prices. Look, I have gold status on Emirates and I still flew there. Of course, I wanted to fly the 350, I'll admit it. But at the same time, the prices were very competitive. So really worth a shot. And the airport is beautiful. There's a lot of water. Even the airport itself is designed like as if it was water. It's on reclaimed land. It's 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 smart, honestly. It's smart. It's a... I understand people will say, yeah, but Qatar has all the money in the world. Yeah, probably they have. True. But 
it doesn't preclude you from enjoying the airport. This is a very, very nice airport built around this Oasis team. Like, I'm sold. Do it, Alex. Do it. I know you're, <laughs> you're going to fly. So are you, are you flying soon somewhere? I am. I am going to California, San Jose, to be oh, specific, wow. on a BA-787. Oh, the 787. That's where you're going to fly. In business class. I took Johnny Clark, uh, our friend from the designer's recommendation, and decided to fly into San Jose so I could try the 787 business class product. He, he just said, while the product itself, the seat is the same, the cabin on the 787 is a lot cooler and kind of more cozy and intimate. So I'm excited to try it. Which means, everyone, that we will still talk about the 787. It's been two episodes in a row because now we'll finally hear what Alex thinks of it. I'm excited. Uh, yeah, you, you must be excited. I'm going to myself fly. I have a few flights uh, in Europe and uh, Dubai, I think. So well, I don't know when we'll record the next episode, but probably before the end of the Euro. So yeah. I'm not going to ask you who you're going to support because otherwise we're going to have like people like sh shouting at us. <laughs> Alex, on that, safe travels. Safe travels, guys. On behalf of Layovers and the entire crew, we would like to thank you for joining us on this podcast today. And we're looking forward to seeing you on board again next week. Flight attendants, please prepare for landing.